Hey everybody, welcome to the Different Church Podcast. This is episode 10, and it is our third official service, and I am talking to you at 2 in the morning, Sunday night, slash Monday morning. It's kind of my ritual to uh, record this podcast intro on late Sunday night after our service. Uh, I don't know, there's just something about Sundays, I don't like to go to sleep. It, I joke with people, if I could have a superpower, it would be to not have to sleep. I would still want to be able to if I felt like it. But I think, you know, being forced to sleep, like, what a waste of time, right? And I'm not even, like, coming at this from, like, a uh, entrepreneurial rise and grind perspective. Like, sure, it would be nice to work hard and do cool stuff. But it's also nice to just chill and like consume Netflix <laughs> or be selfish and play video games. I don't know. I'm not why I don't know why I'm talking about this. That wasn't what I was intending to talk about, but I don't know. I just don't like to go to sleep and especially these days I don't like to. It's it's crazy out there. I hope you guys are okay. I hope everybody's healthy and safe and I hope you're not too anxious. Um I'm not sleeping, not because I'm anxious or scared. Uh, I just feel like there's so much to do, and I just, I don't want to not do it. Does that make sense to anyone? So, I'm, it's 2 a.m. I'm thinking about, you know, what I can be doing to help different church reach more people. Um, what we can do to, to better serve our people. Uh, yeah, I don't know. This is really exciting. It's weird to have started a church and then three weeks in and we might have to take like, (laughs) I don't know. The most recent thing came out today and they said they don't want us to gather for like eight weeks. That's crazy. But I don't know. I'm not nervous about different. We'll be fine. Um, we, we can, maybe we'll still be able to meet or if we can't, we can meet online. Um, it's the cool thing about being a young church and we don't have a whole lot of things to pay for right now. We can be really uh, skinny and nimble and um, yeah, we'll be good. Uh, so thank you. Thank you for being a part of, of what we're doing, for caring about what we're doing. Uh, we're really excited to just bring this kind of different viewpoint of what we think the church should be um, you know, to you on Sunday mornings and also in your car or at your desk at work, wherever you're listening to this. So I'm really excited, obviously, to have started different. And there's a bunch of reasons why I really thought this was a good idea. Um, And I want to talk about one of those reasons right now. And this is one of the main reasons. Um, And that is, I really believe in Hannah. I think she's really talented Um, I think she's this perfect mix of like Bible nerd and like someone who really cares about people. And that's like, you don't find that usually you can find somebody that's one or the other, but to find somebody who does both so well, I'm just, I feel lucky to count her as my pastor and I feel lucky to, you know, kind of be one of the people who's making sure that she can get out on stage every week and she has an audience to talk to, and there's people who want to know what she thinks about stuff <laughs> and things. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm just, I'm proud. I I consider myself a, a great number two, and um, 
that's that's one of my roles at different is just supporting her. And so Hannah, you rock. Um, I'm really happy to be doing this with you. And this sermon this week, I think was like your best one yet. Um, so way to go. Uh, if you haven't heard it yet, uh, buckle up. This is a really good one. It's, um, it wasn't necessarily about, you know, what we're going through right now. Um, it's not a message about like, everything's going to be fine. Just trust in God. We just kind of stuck to the plan and and did what we were going to do. And then naturally, you know, stuff kind of weaved in. And I just, I think you're really going to love this. Um, yeah. Uh, (laughs) this is funny. I'm starting this podcast with a pretty like mellow vibe. And as soon as we jump into the message, you're going to hear some ridiculous audio of me reading scripture just forgive me. That's, <laughs> that's, that's all I have to say. Hannah made me do it. Um, I haven't thought of a name for this episode yet. Um, this is really lame, but this is just, I mean, it's two ten now we're talking about the woman at the well. So what if we called it? Well, Oh, well, the woman at the well. Nope. That that's not what we're calling it. I just I just listened back and heard myself say it and that's definitely not what we're calling it. I I got a better one. Let's call it Well Yeah. Um if you're feeling some kind of way, this is not gonna be a message about how to have faith in difficult circumstances. This is not gonna be a message about God knows everything and God is in control. It's gonna be completely unrelated. Um so if you're feeling some kind of way. Maybe just let us subside for a minute. We're going to speak for the next few minutes about the woman at the well. <laughs> and if you woke up this morning and you're just feeling a little panicky or a little anxious or you don't know what's going to happen to your paycheck or you don't know what's going to happen to your family, try and focus on this and we can be together and at least have this space of peace for now. It'll still be there when we go outside. Um, But for now, I think we can be together. So I'm actually going to ask Jarrett to come and read our text for today because a little known fact about Jarrett is he has a very special set of skills. (laughs) And one of them is reading the Bible very dramatically, (laughs) which I texted him earlier this week and I was like, is there any chance I could talk you into reading the Bible very dramatically on Sunday? And I said, yes. (laughs) Okay, so Hannah and I have been in a number of Bible study and devotional situations, and I like to read the Bible like this to make people laugh, and I think it maybe helps people pay attention to what's happening better, but also it's really stupid. So bring your expectations way down, and I never dreamed someone would ask me to do this on purpose. So here goes. This is an abridged reading of John chapter 4. Verses 5 through 30. Eventually, he came to the Samaritan village of Sychar, near the field that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired from the long walk, sat wearily beside the well about noontime. Soon, a Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Please give me a drink. (laughs) He was alone at the time because his disciples had gone into the village to buy some food. The woman was surprised, for Jews refused to have anything to do with Samaritans. She said to Jesus, you are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. 
Why are you asking me for a drink? Jesus replied, If you only knew the gift of God, the gift God has for you, and who you are speaking to, you would ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket, she said. And this well is very deep. Where would you get this living water? Jesus replied, Anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again. But those who drink the water I give will never be thirsty again. It becomes a fresh bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. Please, sir, the woman said, give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again, and I won't have to come here to get water. It's ridiculous. <clears throat> Go and get your husband, Jesus told her. I don't have a husband, the woman replied. Jesus said, you're right, you don't have a husband. For you have had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now. You spoke the truth. Sir, the woman said, you must be a prophet. So tell me, why is it that you Jews insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship, while we Samaritans claim it is here at Mount Gerizim, where our ancestors worshipped? Jesus replied, believe me, dear woman, the time is coming when it will no longer matter whether you worship God on this mountain or in Jerusalem. The time is coming. In fact, it's here now when true worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. For God is spirit, so those who worship must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. <laughs> Just then his disciples came back. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman. I'm oh, sorry, I... I Got out of my dramatic voice. They were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking to her? The woman left her water jar beside the well and ran back to the village telling everyone, come and, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. That deserves a, yes, a round of applause. <laughs> I don't know why, I don't know. I'm gonna go sit down. I, I mean, we could reinstitute the curtsy and bow as a way of saying hello instead of shaking hands. There's not gender specific. Whoever bows first, the other person has to curtsy. <laughs> that was great. It was way better than I could have read it dramatically. So let me see. If you have heard this story before, raise your hand. Just to get a feel. Okay, most of you. So. We have this woman in Samaria, and if you can put the map up on screen, hopefully you can see this. Samaria is a place in between Galilee up north and Judea down at the bottom. So in the Gospels, if you read Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, Jesus spends most of his time up north in Galilee, and Judea down at the bottom is where he gets killed. So just some context, Samaria is right in the middle. Now if Jesus wanted to get to Judea from Galilee, what would be the best route for him to take? This is not a trick question. <laughs> Samaria! Okay, so actually, generally Jews did not go through Samaria because they did not get along with the Samaritans at all. Um, sometimes the Samaritans would attack the Jews, and so they would often go, you see this line going up the middle of the map? That is the Jordan River. So they would go all the way down the Jordan River Valley and then back up the hill to Jerusalem. They, not the shortest distance between two points. But they didn't want to have any conflicts. But today we have this. Jesus just 
walking around with his disciples, decides to go take the shortest distance between two points. He goes through Samaria, and apparently they have not been attacked today. Samaria was feeling generous. And in the heat of the day, Jesus finds himself alone by this well, Jacob's well, which is a famous landmark. And a Samaritan woman comes to draw water from the well. So what's wrong with this picture? First of all, Jesus is already known as a holy man in Israel. He's leading this movement of rededication back to God. And in that culture, a devout Jewish man would definitely not have allowed themselves to be alone with a woman. As you know, women are very dangerous. (laughs) If it was unavoidable that Jesus had to be alone or any holy man had to be alone with a woman, they certainly would have never talked to her because that was just pushing the limits of propriety. The risk was too high, you know, if you have a conversation with someone, obviously that means you're gonna rip your clothes off. So the risk of gossip, the risk of impurity, all of this. And yet, Jesus is here talking to this woman, apparently not concerned at all. Secondly, the Jews did not like the Samaritans. They regarded them as outcasts, and by outcasts I mean unclean. So this is like a long feud. Think like Shakespearean level feud. So a long time ago in a land far, far away called Israel, the Israelites got taken over by the Babylonians and most of the Israelites got taken to Babylon. Some stayed, but most of them had to go far away. They came back eventually. And when they came back, there was this whole group of people, the Samaritans, claiming to be the true ancestors of Abraham. And they did not get along after that. So it wasn't just a matter of like, They avoided each other. They actually fought battles against each other sometimes. This is why the Jews would not go through Samaritan territory, and the Samaritans often would not go through Jewish territory. This is why we get the story of the Good Samaritan. That would have been shocking to any Jew who heard it. A Good Samaritan? I don't know the meaning of the word. Like, it was impossible. So not only this, the Jews would definitely have not been talking to them, and they extra definitely would not have been sharing any kind of food or water vessel with them because it was unclean. They touched it, definitely can't have a drink out of her water or her water jar. And yet, Jesus is here asking this woman for a drink. So he doesn't care that he's talking to her and he's alone with a woman. He also doesn't care that she's a Samaritan and her water jug is unclean by virtue of the fact that she touched it. So third, this woman clearly wants to be left alone. She... The normal time for people to visit a well, and just just imagine this is like Florida, but less sticky, okay? It's just as hot, probably hotter than it is right now. Not as humid, but like you just baking in the sun. So if you wanted to go draw water from this well that was a good walk outside of town, and you had to carry it back, you would go in the morning or in the evening so that you wouldn't come back like needing a shower. But she came at a time when she was least likely to get bothered by people. So she's clearly trying to avoid talking to anybody. And yet, Jesus doesn't care. (laughs) And is like, hey, can I have some water? A couple of other things. Jesus is actually asking her for water. I have heard literally so many sermons over the course of my life that over-spiritualize this interaction. And they're like... Jesus could have snapped his magic God fingers and made himself a cup of water. But he didn't because he had a divine appointment with this sinful woman at the well. And so he had to ask her for water to fulfill his purposes as God. Okay. 
He had to show her the error of her ways. Ugh. I don't know if you can see me from in the back. I'm literally rolling my eyes so hard right now. First of all, I think that that shows a complete lack of understanding of how the book of John is structured. There are no frivolous miracles in John. The book of John is written very specifically, and every miracle that happens in John has a purpose, and it all gets tied up neatly at the end with a bow. Jesus is not just going around making himself cups of water. Also, the very story begins with telling us that Jesus walked a long way and was tired. So tired that he sent the disciples into town to get snacks without him. He was like, you guys, go ahead. I can't make it anymore. I must sit by this well. Also, I mean, he could have been tired from the walk, but remember, the disciples were also, some of them, teenagers. And maybe he was just tired of them. I'm just putting that out there. Everyone who knows a teenager or has been a teenager can say amen to this. I was the worst. <laughs> also, another also, I don't know how many more times I can say that today. There have been literally thousands of pages written on the bad moral character of this woman. Her many marriages, they've always been attributed to her doing the wrong thing. Five husbands, you say. She must have been unfaithful. She must be an awful person all around to have five husbands and to not be married to the person she's with now. In fact, as a very specific example of this, John Calvin, who's a theologian in the 1500s, his work is what Calvinism, the movement, is based on. He's kind of a big deal. I'm going to read to you his interpretation of this passage and let you decide whether he was a good guy or not. He says the reason for this woman having five husbands was that being a contrary and disobedient wife, she constrained her husbands to divorce her. And then he goes on to say, Christ, in order to repress this woman's talkativeness, brought forward her former and present life. This is like actually written by a person who studied the Bible. That's the kind of theology that like, gives me like an eye twitch. Like, I, <laughs> I literally can't handle it. There is such a long history of sexism in the church. I mean, in the whole world, honestly. But, like, especially the church, it's like, women, it's your fault. Obviously, it's your fault. You're very dangerous. Even when you're fully clothed, head to toe, you're very dangerous. We can't talk to you. Um, and the sad reality of the situation, if you know anything about history and the history of the time, is that the situation she found herself in was probably a combination of a lot of things. One of them being death. People died a lot. They did not have modern medical care to help them recover. And also, remember that girls and young women were married very young, often to very old men. So they pro probably some of her husband simply died of being old. Also, um, we have this weird situation where in that culture, a man could divorce a woman for literally anything, but a woman could not do the same. So maybe she was contrary, as a woman has a right to be. But it's, it's a combination of these things. If you just look at it historically, there's probably some death, there's probably some male-initiated divorce, and why would she be with a man who's not her husband now? Well, because it's very difficult for a woman or a child in that culture to survive without having a family to protect them. 
Because, this is why you hear over and over and over in the New Testament. And raise your hand if you've heard this statement. Remember the widows and the orphans. Yes. Why? Because they couldn't provide for themselves. Because they had no family protection. Because these are the most vulnerable and the most important people to protect because they literally couldn't just go get a job and fend for themselves. So she's with this person, maybe for love, maybe for survival. And it's also worth noting that her response to Jesus is kind of fabulous. Um, she doesn't want to be bothered, remember? She's at the well. This weirdo guy is talking to her. And Jesus says, if only you knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking with, you would ask me for a drink, and I would give you living water. And she, having that special skill that a fair amount of people have, especially women, immediately points out why his idea is dumb. <laughs> now, this is how it's normally read. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. How could you get this water? Okay, let me read it a different way. Mm-hmm. You don't have a rope or a bucket. This well is very deep. <laughs> How are you going to get me a drink? Can you imagine? She's talking to God. <laughs> She's holding her own. She's being sarcastic with the person. I kind of love this lady. She's like, listen. So that's just all background. That was all extra. Again and again in the book of John, we, Jesus is talking to people who completely misunderstand what he's saying. He's talking at a heavenly level, and they're only hearing him at an earthly level. Because God created heaven and earth, and the point of Jesus' whole life and whole ministry and death and resurrection and everything is to bring the life of heaven to earth. Jesus is the place where heaven and earth meet. So these misunderstandings are completely natural. He asks the woman for a drink. Obviously, she thinks he's talking about water. And I have also heard sermons who are like, the poor woman. How, how could she not understand that God was going to give her the Holy Spirit? No. <laughs> Let's read this with common sense. So the clue to us that Jesus is talking at a heavenly level is the phrase living water. So we think living water, and especially if you're Pentecostal like I am, it's always like living water. This very like juju, weird, like floaty experience where it just pours out of you at all times. Um, but actually, this is a term that people would have understood. So if I say the term running water to you, you know what I mean by that, right? Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> so living water was the phrase that they used for running water, water that was in a river or a stream, something that was moving. So it was much more likely to be fresh and clean as opposed to a pond or a well where it just sat there, baked in the desert sun, and got old. And I don't know if you've ever just like opened a bottle of water that's been sitting in your car for a long time and taken a drink. I mean, don't drink the plastic, right? But sometimes you have to do what you have to do. It tastes horrible. This is what living water would have meant to her. Not water from this well, a river. There's got to be a river somewhere around. And she says in one of the verses, you can go read the whole story yourself. She's like, where would you get this living water? Because clearly, there's only a well here. This is, she's not saying like, you're going to open heaven and rain down water for us. She's saying, I can see around, I've lived here literally my whole life, there is a well 
That's the only place we come to get water. Do you think I wanted to walk all the way out here to get water? No. <laughs> so we still have a double meaning here because, of course, Jesus isn't talking about physical water. He's using language that she would have understood to talk about something else. Jesus is referring to this new life that is offered to everyone. And as this conversation shows, it is not based on what a person's gender is. It's not based on their geography, because he's in Samaria. It is not based on their racial background, because he's talking to a Samaritan. And it's clearly not based on what your moral background is. It doesn't matter. What Jesus says about living water, we think then he's making it clear that there's something else for which actual water is just a signpost. This water is pointing towards something. Not only will the water he's offering quench your thirst, it will become like a spring inside of you. It will literally be water that is alive, flowing out from you so that you will never be thirsty again. It will refresh you with the new life that God is bringing into the world. So the woman is confused, understandably. Most people, if you read the book of John, are very confused every time Jesus talks. Nobody understands what Jesus is saying in John, especially the people who have prided themselves on uh, studying religion their whole lives. They definitely don't get it. So she's like, okay, I'm confused, but please, sir, may I have some more? She's like, please give me this water. I would love to not come out here and draw water in the middle of the day every day because this sucks and I have to carry it. And then Jesus has, tells her to go get her husband, and they have this weird interaction about five husbands and her current partner. And her reaction to Jesus putting his finger on her mess is to instantly do something that we do. Start talking about something else immediately. Jesus is like, oh, that's right. Yes, you have had five husbands, and the person you're with is not your husband. And she's like, huh, you must be a prophet. So tell me. Why do you insist that Jerusalem is the only place of worship? And we Samaritans insist that it is here. Nothing like an unimportant theological question to derail being vulnerable. Uh, I'm, I have definitely been there. Jesus does not put up with this tactic. He says, it doesn't matter which mountain. Literally, that's what we can translate to. She's like, how about we have this mountain, you have this mountain. Let's engage in this long debate over the debate that Jews have been, and Samaritans have been having for hundreds of years over who has the right place to worship God. And Jesus is like, who cares? Which is not what she would expect from a Jewish holy person, okay? So part of Jesus' mission, which is to bring the life of heaven to earth and to be this place where heaven and earth meet, is that from now on, holy mountains don't actually matter that much. Holy buildings, just like the water, is a signpost holy buildings and holy mountains and places of worship are also just a signpost to something else that God is doing. Because we know the true God is not contained geographically or architecturally for that matter. God is a spirit, the kind that transcends the world. And the woman still cannot understand what Jesus is saying, understandably. And so she tries something else. She's like, one day the Messiah will come. Why don't we just wait until then and we can ask him whether the mountains are important. So she's like, first of all, don't talk about my life. Let's talk about theology instead. I'm not going to be vulnerable with you. And Jesus kills that. And then she's like, all right, well, you're not the Messiah, obviously. So who can really know 
what the answer could possibly be. We'll never know. We'll just have to wait. We have the answer. It's 42. But what is the question? So she's like, we'll just wait for the Messiah. He'll explain everything to us eventually. And Jesus says, that's me. Hilarious. And then the disciples come back, and they are shocked, blown away by the fact that Jesus is talking to a woman at the well and a Samaritan. And I actually find it hysterical. This is where I find many parts of the Bible funny. (laughs) That in verse 27, none of the disciples have the guts to ask Jesus why he's talking to her. And literally it says that in the Bible. Like the narrator thought that that was really important to be like, they were shocked to find Jesus talking to a woman, but none of them had to nerve to ask. And seeing them escape, all of these teenagers are coming with snacks. She was like, oh no. She runs away. She just leaves, goes back to the village. But she actually gets a lot of people to come out and see Jesus, which is very interesting because the way this passage ends is worth thinking about. Here is a woman who wanted to be left alone. And yet she is the first person telling about Jesus in her village before any of Jesus' own followers could do it. And note that a whole group of them, in fact, all of them, except Jesus, went into the village to buy snacks, and they were not excited. They did not tell anyone what they were doing there. They didn't tell anyone that Jesus was at the well. They didn't tell anyone that they thought Jesus was the Messiah. But this woman told literally everyone, and the entire town comes out to see Jesus. She's like, I think I found the Messiah. I don't know. You might want to take a look for yourself. And then they all become convinced. This woman who's looked down on, who wants to be left alone, she's by herself in the hottest part of the day, the woman who wouldn't have been talked to, she's the one who tells everyone. She immediately steps into her own power and tells the entire village. And clearly she wasn't as bad off socially as sermons have made her out to be because the entire village listens to her. You would think if there was something so awful about her that no one wanted to talk to her or have anything to do with her, as is normally said, they would not have listened to her when she was like, I think I found the Messiah. They would have been like, okay. (laughs) Is he your sixth husband? Like, (laughs) But they all come streaming out of the village to see Jesus. And the whole town meets Jesus, who hopefully has had a chance to eat some food and drink some water before he's bombarded with like a thousand people or however many people were in that town. The whole crowd says this, now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. And this is significant too, because this is the title that the emperor of Rome used for himself. It's also the only time in John where Jesus is called the savior of anything, let alone the world. It is a super political statement. Can you imagine I I can't even think of a good example of what this would be. This is like a 20% example. If someone was up here, you all meet them, and you're like, oh, now we know who the true president of the United States is. Except that Rome actually ruled way, like a much bigger area, and had many, many armies, (laughs) and they ruled in fear and... Propaganda. Their propaganda was like the peace of Rome, 
the hope of Rome, the faith of Rome. The emperor was the son of God. The emperor was the savior of the world. And this whole group of people say, actually, after examining our lives and talking to one person, we realize everything we have been taught is a lie, and you are the savior of the world. And actually, in John 3.16, hopefully a familiar verse, for God so loved the world. That's one chapter earlier than this story. For God so loved the world. And here, just a few verses later, right smack in the middle of Galilee and Judea is the world. A place most Jews wouldn't go. A place filled with people they wouldn't talk to or eat with. And Jesus goes straight in. And I mean eat with like quite literally. Um, I don't know how much you know or are aware of Jewish customs, but I have quite an amount of family who are Orthodox Jews. So when I was in college, had this boyfriend, we went to a funeral for one of my great uncles. He was very old, he lived a long life. It was a celebration of life. And we had a party afterwards with full of Jewish food. And obviously I'm not a Jew. He was not a Jew at the time. He still is not a Jew. I don't know why I said at, a t at the time. <laughs> My whole family, so there was a Jewish section of the party and a non-Jewish section of the party. And I knew because I had grown up knowing there was a table where they ate and there was a table where we ate. You don't sit at their table, you make it unclean. But he did not know, so he just like filled his plate and he started to sit down. He was like hovering. And I was across the room and I was like, no, no. Like slow motion, I couldn't get to him. His butt touched the table. Not the table, the seat. And I literally saw like three people being like. They let it go. He didn't know. But that is how strict it is. When you don't eat with someone, it means literally you do not eat with them. You don't share plates, like nothing. And Jesus is here with these people saying, I'm the bread of life. I'm the living water. There are no barriers anymore. I think I just proved that. He breaks all the social barriers, all the social norms. He talks to one woman who immediately influences the entire town. The process of the salvation of the whole world has begun. The process that was maybe 30 verses earlier in John 3.16. And I have a slide that's a carryover from last week, if you were here last week. Um, because we're kind of faced with a mess right now, right? Like, we look around, it's kind of difficult to think that the salvation of the world has begun. It doesn't look like it. It doesn't look like it, especially now when we have all the anxiety, we have all the panic, we have so many things to consider and so many things to worry about. How do we have faith through this? How do we have faith if we can't gather together? How do we have faith if your paycheck is on the line because things are closing? Remember, that faith is just a willingness to trust God. It's not this mystical thing that some people have and some people don't have. 
It's not a thing that some people are good at and other people are not. It's just a willingness to trust God, or in some situations, to even try to trust God and to be like God. Having faith, being a person of faith, it means acting like Jesus. The, the world then was in Samaria. The world is here now. We're surrounded by people who are going to need help. Perhaps we will be the people who need help. We have no way of knowing. And so together, if we act like Jesus, may we break the social barriers. May we break any norms that get in the way of us caring for one another. May we go out of our way to help each other, serve others. Perhaps we get groceries for people who can't leave their house. Perhaps we check on our friends and family members frequently. Perhaps we check on the people who being alone and being isolated is going to be really, really difficult. I mean, if you're an introvert, you've been training for this day. <laughs> but if you're an extrovert, how do you interact with people when you can't? Like, it, it is so difficult for me to be like, hey, like, I just want to hug you. Can't do it. How do we serve the people who will be working nonstop, like exhausting hours in the healthcare industry, in the emergency services industry, the people who are literally up all night stocking toilet paper in the shelves? Like, how can we serve those people? What can we do? How do we support small businesses who literally may be hanging on by a razor-thin margin? We, maybe we don't have the answer, but we can act like Jesus. We can put others in front of ourselves. We can share what we have. We can check on each other. This, you should definitely go to <laughs> diffchurch.com and click on mailing list if you're not, because you will need to get our emails. <laughs> this, I mean, we may not see each other for a while. So how do we have faith in a community like that? Can we have a willingness to try to trust God? And can we step into our own power and serve and help others? And in this way show that the salvation of the world has begun. It's begun in us. Can we be the ones who are calm? Maybe not. I woke up this morning and I was like, <laughs> you know that anxiety? Well, maybe. If you don't know what I'm talking about, bless you. <laughs> that anxiety that just like sits on your chest and gets in your lungs and is like, <laughs> like you can't breathe. I woke up at 6.30 this morning and I was like, <gasps> like, I'm better now. Can we support each other through that? Because this is what we have. This is what being a faith community means. To be like Jesus and say, I'm here and you're here too. And together we can do something. We don't know what it looks like, but we can do something. I'm going to quit. I'm going to get emotional. I would say it's because I didn't sleep, but that's not true. I slept. <laughs> this is just my life. <laughs> it's just my face. We're going to sing a couple of more songs and then I'll come back and give you a benediction. 
and you can stand for the song if you feel like you want to sit and just be in the moment you can do that too but I just invite you to especially if you're feeling anxiety or worry just just let it subside for a moment Thank you so much for listening to the Different Church Podcast. For more information about us, check out diffchurch.com. That's D-I-F-F church. Or follow us on social at diffchurch.com.